Um, today's daf is daf kuf mem, and today's shir is Leilu Nishmas ben Zion ben Zev Avram Halevi and Arielay ben Shmuel Hakohen. Now we're going to go from the last part, yes, and. I can't hear it went glitchy. And for a full name of Eliana Bas Emuna. Sarabat Emuna. Okay. Um, we're going to go from the last line of Kufla Matessa Mudbeis, 139b. Um, yeah, just the last point yesterday. I didn't get I, I, I didn't get much clarity, but we discussed. Uh, um, well, so the, the second, the last point we discussed yesterday was straining. How if you want to get the liquids and there's a mixture, how you can you're allowed to pour it slowly so that just the liquid flows out. But obviously, when it turns into what you would consider a mixture, that now like it's really uh, mixed in with the. Uh, chunks or whatever it is, then you run into trouble because that is boy rare. Just before that, we mentioned um, a discussion. Can you put this cl- straining cloth, it says you're not allowed to put the straining cloth all the way over the barrel, but are you allowed to put it hot, but you are allowed to put it halfway over the barrel. So there's a bit of a discussion amongst the Rishonim. Um, what's the problem? And how does doing it halfway help? If the problem is making an ohel, well, whether you make an oil of this much or an oil of that much or an oil of that much, as long as you've made an oil at tefach, you've made an oil. So why should that make a difference? Um, that's one uh, point of contention. And then also, are you not allowed to cover a pot? Friday night, you've, you've, ha- you've finished your soup, you want to put the, the lid on the pot, so you're not allowed to because there's uh, only a little bit of soup and there's more than a tefach from the soup to the lid. So they're the easiest answer seems to be some Rishonim learn that no there's never a problem with putting a potlet on a pot, that's not considered making an oil, that's normal however the concern here is that you're actually using this cloth that's normally used for straining, so if you put the strain on the whole whole way well then that's the problem of, again it's not setting up a strainer because your intent is just to use it as a cover but it looks like that, and therefore it's a problem, and that's why you're only allowed to put it halfway. Okay, that's the one way of learning that last piece. Let's start, go on to the next piece. So we said you're allowed to put an egg through a strainer for the mustard. It says, Isn't it straining? You're separating the yolk which goes through from the albumin which remains on top of the strainer. So he says, no, it's because it's for appearance. It's to make it, to color the mustard. Uh, not 100% clear, but it says, again, once you're doing it, your, your reason is not separating this egg because you want to eat some and you don't want to eat some. Your intention is just to get the color of the egg out into the into the mustard. So when you strain it like that, it's... Um, it's... Uh, it's not one is mach, one is food and one is psoilus. It's both really food, you just want it for the color. What's hard about that is when we learned the laws of Boira, we basically said as a cloud, generally whatever you want is considered the oichel, and whatever you don't want is considered the psoilus. It didn't matter whether they were both edible or not. Okay, so that, that that's a bit hard to understand. In Tim Itmar, sorry, Itmar, What happens if you start kneading the mustard on Erev Shabbos? Are you put in, let's just assume you put in some of the wine or whatever you were going to mix it with and you started mixing it on Erev Shabbos. What about on Shabbos? Can you add, let's say you realize it's a bit thick or you want to adjust the flavor. Are you allowed to add more liquid to it or is that also kneading? We know kneading lash is one of the 39 melachas. So he says, Omer, Yad Rav says you can use a kli, but not your hands. So Shmuel says, how can you not use a hand? You're telling me that every other day you use your hand. You'd only use your hand to mix animal food, donkey food. You're not going to use your hand to prepare. We try not. We try to use... You want to stir something. You want to mix something. You're going to use the key. You're not going to use your hand. Your hand... If you're making animal food, okay, you'll use your hand. 
So he says, so Ela Omar Shmuel, rather Shmuel says, Mamacha Bayad, Vaino Mamacha Bakli. You can knead it further by hand because that is the unusual way to do it, but you're not allowed to use a kli. Rebbe says, no, whether you're using a kli or whether you're using your hand, you're not allowed to knead it further. And Rebbe Yochanan passes the other way around. He says, no, both are mutar. So I lost my place. Then Rabbi Yochanan changed his mind and went like Rabbi Leza, that both also come Rabbi Leza, but say the Shmuel, and Rabbi Leza went like Shmuel, that you can do it by hand but not by kli. Abai Varova Dovi Tavaya, Abai Rova said, Halacha Kerebi Yochanan, the Halacha is like Rebi Yochanan. I that both are also. You're not allowed to need this. You're not allowed to add more liquids to this mustard and need it further. The mother of Abai, remember he, he didn't really have his mother. His mother died when he was either very young or in childbirth. But his, the one who looked after him, his uh, nurse, his nanny, so used to ma- made it for him and he wouldn't eat it. The wife of Ziri made for him Chia Barashi and he wouldn't eat. She says, I make for my, my husband your Rebbe and you won't eat it and he eats it and you're not going to eat it. She was a bit surprised. She was a bit surprised. When I was before Ravina, he mixed it with a stalk of garlic and he would eat it. I, he made a shinoi when he, when he mixed it. This is very similar to what we said. Um, yeah, when you add certain things together, it could be a problem of kneading. So instead of mixing it in the usual way, like stirring it, I guess, in a circle, do it in uh, lines, up and down and left and right, up and down. You know, something like do it with the with um, a shinoi, an extra shinoi. Laloch is not like the opinions we've discussed above, rather as follows. Mustard that was kneaded on Erev Shabbos, you can make it thinner, you can mix it further on Shabbos, whether by hand or whether by cleave. You can put honey in it. The only condition is You're not allowed to beat it, but you must. You can stir it. I, the normal way with this mustard mixture that they would make, they would beat it very hard. And therefore, that's what you're not allowed to do. As soon as you stir it, as opposed to beat it, that's enough of a shinui to allow it. Again, remember, you already kneaded it on Erev Shabbos. You already started it on Erev Shabbos. So you're not starting it from scratch. You're not doing something really significant. You're just adding more wine or more honey to change the consistency or the flavor a bit. Um, just before we go into further halachas, I forgot, I wanted to mention at the top of the page, we mentioned you're allowed to strain this mustard so that the, the, the egg, so that the, the yellow goes over the mustard and makes it a pretty color. You're doing that for the color. We have a general principle, there's no such thing as coloring food. I, we know you're not allowed to die on Shabbos. You're not allowed to color paper. You're not allowed to dye cloth. You're not allowed, that sort of thing. But you are allowed to color food. That is the general principle. Okay, the Mishnah has certain stringencies which, where possible, we try to keep. But I don't want to go into them. But the overriding principle is there's nothing wrong with coloring food. I so theoretically, as I said, you have to look at the Mishnah for the details. But theoretically, to add uh, juice to water, even though you're making the water go red or orange or whatever color it is, it's fine. Or to put, uh, you know, something like that would be fine. Um, because of the concept you ain't here but often yes I thought you've got to be careful always to add the water to the juice yeah so that's a humra based on the Mishra Bura I don't want to go into it but the general principle as we see from this Gemara is as I said before you practice go, you, you have to check the contemporary poskim and the details but the general rule is ain't here but okay then we're carrying on with a few 
um, halachas, it seems they connected by the fact that they to do with shinuyim. Cha- uh, if you do it with a change, it could be mutar. Shachlaim sheshochton erev Shabbos lemocha noisen letoichan shemen v'choymetz. Okay, this is very similar to what we just said, but cress that you chopped finely, that you ground up on Erev Shabbos, you can add oil or vinegar to them and also add mint. You're just not allowed to beat it. You have to stir it. Shum Erev Shabbos, if you had garlic that you crushed on Erev Shabbos. On Shabbos you can add the different types of beans. You're not allowed to pound it. You can stir it. And you can add Amita into it. My Amita, what is this Amita? Nanya. It's mint. Abai says, we see from here that Nanya is good for for this cress, nanya. Isn't nana tea? What's tea nana? Nana tea, isn't that mint tea? Yeah, so that's nanya here. Nanya, yeah. Voicing anu milim b'shabbos. Our Mishnah says you can make anu milim on Shabbos. It was, it was a, it wasn't, it was a big deal and it had a little bit of connections to, well, yeah, so it's a big deal to make. That's why it's a chidush that you can make it. Tonu Rabbonin oisin anu milin b'shabbos v'ayin oisin aluntis. You're allowed to make anu milin but not aluntis. Aluntis was much more, more specifically used for a fuah. So that's why it's a problem. V'ayzuhi anu milin, v'ayzuhi aluntis. What's the difference? So anu milin... This is the one you're allowed to make on Shabbos. It's yain dvashu pilpilin. Wine, honey, and pepper. Aluntis yayin yoshon o mayin slulin v'aparsimon. Old wine, clear water, and balsam. The ovdilei lebei mesusil amekar. And they would make it to cool themselves after going to the bathhouse. You know, sometimes you get out of a... You go, I don't know, been to the sauna, or you get out of a very, very hot shower that you're in for too long. You feel a bit uh, faint. And overheated, so they would take this to recover from that. So it's taken for a fuhr. Omar Rav Yosef Basa Rav Yosef says, once I went with, I followed Marukva, I went with him into the bathhouse. Kinofik Asa Ashkan Khamra Chad Kasa Vachashi Mivente Deroshi at Turfe to cry. He says, once I followed Marukva into the bathhouse, and when we came out, he gave me to drink this Aluntis wine. Just one cup of it, and I felt its effect from the tips of my hair to the nails of my toes. It was so, uh, it cooled me down thoroughly. The E. Ashkin Kasachrina have a Mistafina Dilma Menakuli Mizhusai de Alma de Asi. And I felt if I would drink even one more cup, it would detract from my schus of Olam Haba. Rashi explains why would it take. So I think the simple explanation of why it would take from his Olam Haba, it's so delicious, so refreshing, that he's like, this is, uh, I'm enjoying my Olam Haba in this world. Rashi explains slightly differently. Rashi explains it would detract from his Olam Haba because it would cool him down to such a degree. That he would be in danger. And he would have to rely on basically just about a miracle to survive. And that miracle to survive would use up his chus. Oh, but didn't drink it every single day? Wasn't he worried about this uh, issue of his olam haba? He says, no, shiny marukva did dosh. had it so often, he just trampled over it. He had it so often that it didn't matter anymore. Okay, next Mishnah. You're not allowed to soak chiltis in lukewarm water. It's for some sort of refuah. But you can put it into vinegar because that's a, it seems that would be a normal condiment. This chiltis soaked in vinegar was a normal condiment. Um, interesting, <coughs> chiltis, where we've seen it before, is in Maseches Chulin, where it's discussing what's a sharp food that draws out the flavor from... Uh, that draws out the flavor of that if you cut it with a meat knife it will become meat etc chiltus is the super strong uh, uh, sharp food you're not allowed to cause the the legumes some sort of legumes to float or rub them the concern is they would have these at some sort of legume not sure exactly what it is um, as animal food but to separate the chaff from it what they would often do is throw it in water and the beans or whatever they were would sink to the bottom and the chaff would float to the top that's boirer 
Similarly, sometimes you rub them to get the chaff off them. Again, you're separating the chaff from the food. If it's not mafarik, it's, it's boirer. So that's the concern here. You can put it in a sieve or a, a sieve or a basket. Now, even though the chaff might fall through, here that's just how you're going to carry it when you go take it to your animal or keep it in the cupboard. So that's, it's, by the way, it's anum is it's not definitely going to happen, and it's not, as we said, it's not your intent. Your intent is just to keep this um, karshinim there. It says, You're not allowed to sift straw in a sieve or put it on a high on a mound so that the chaff just rolls off or gets blown away i again that sort they would take the straw for the animals they would cut it up some of the little pieces that weren't so edible for the animals they'd want to get out you're not allowed to sift it and you're also not allowed to put it somewhere that the chaff will just roll away you can pick it up in a sieve to transport it to the animal, the feeding trough. Oh, because there again, your intent is not to sift it. Your intent is to move it from the pile of straw to transport it and pour it into the animal trough. If some get sifted, well, that's again, anomiscaving, uh, not with intent. Now the Gemara asks, going back to the first talocha of the Mishnah, was you're not allowed to soak hiltus in lukewarm water. Is it Doraiso or Dirabonin to soak it? So Targumor Rav Ada Narsho, Kaimed Rav Yosef, explains Shara Chayv Chattas. If you soak it, you Chayv Chattas. What if you soak meat in warm water, you have chattas? What have you done wrong by soaking meat in warm water? So what have you done wrong by soaking this um, chiltas in warm water? It's because you're not allowed to make it the same way that you make it during the weekday. And again, as I pointed out, because it was primarily used as a refuah. And you're not allowed to prepare a refuah on Shabbos, even though healthy people would sometimes drink it. It was still, it's still, you shouldn't do it the same way that you do it in the weekday. What's the, what's the halacha regarding soaking the chiltus in cold water? So he says, Amalei Asur. You're not allowed to soak it in cold water. It says, But our Mishnah said you're not allowed to soak this chiltus in warm water, implying that you could soak it in cold water. So Rabbi Yana said to him, If that's your response, what's, what do you think is the difference between me and you? I, you asked me the question because you know I'm a greater sage. I give you the answer and you try to challenge me from a Mishnah. Well, if you think you know it, why are you asking me? I'll tell you. He says, I'll explain it to you. The Mishnah is actually an individual opinion. The Tanya, as we learned in Ebrisa. The anonymous, the general opinion is, you're not allowed to soak chiltus in warm water or cold water. Rabbi Yossi says, also, but so in a mutar in warm water it's forbidden, but in cold water it's mutar. So that's uh, so we see very clearly that the problem is connected to um, yeah, that that it's the Tanakama of this price. Either general opinion is you can't soak it in warm or cold water, and it's just Rebiosi, an individual who says that you can soak it in cold water. Then it says, Lamai Avdilay, why would they make this so? Why, what was the purpose of soaking chiltus in water? It says, deliver for this heaviness of the heart. Again, obviously, we're not discussing a dangerous illness, because then obviously, if it's dangerous, you can do whatever you need. You wouldn't be a discussion of is it warm, is it cold, etc. Must just be at some, some ailment called heaviness of the heart. Rav Acha Bar Yosef, Chash deliver. Rav Acha Bar Yosef felt this. Heaviness of the heart, and as the kaimed the marukva, he came before marukva. Amalei zil shosi klasa tikli chiltosa betlasa yume. Go drink three shekels worth, three shekels weight of this chiltis over three days. 
So he went, he started his course of this medicine on Thursday. So he had one on Thursday, one on Friday. The Tzafra, Shabbos morning, also showed by Medrash. He went to ask in the base Medrash, what can he do? Because remember, you're not allowed to take something for a full on Shabbos. So he started on Thursday. He took his, again, he's supposed to take three doses. So he took one, two, and now third. It says, Omru lei tana devei rav ada v'omru lo tana devei mar bar rav ada. So they taught him from a price so that, you know what, he can drink a kav or a kavayim and he doesn't have to worry. Um, so, uh, he can drink as much as he needs. It says, Omar Luhu. And, and the reason is because, as we mentioned, granted it's primarily the skilter soaked in water was primarily a, or often used as a cure. It was also used as a, it would people, normal people would drink it. So he says, you can drink, don't have to worry about it. You can drink as much as you want. So, this wasn't asking to drink it. That I knew I could drink it. My question was, can I prepare it? Can I soak it in water on Shabbos to prepare it? My, what's Aloha? So, Omar Luhu, Rabbi Chia Baravin, Bedidi, Havi Uvdu, Baasai, Shalsal, Rabbi Barava, said, I had the Rabbi, Rabbi Chia Baravin said, I had this question and I went and asked Rabbi Ada Barava, Velah Havi Biyoda, he did not answer. So, Asai, Shalsal, Ravhuna, I went and asked Ravhuna for Omar and he said as follows. Rav said, You can soak it in cold water and place it in the sun to warm up. Now, the Gemara asks, Commander Shori, this sounds like he's going like Rabbi Yossi. Remember, we saw in a Brysa that the general opinion is you can't soak it at all. And it was Rabbi Yossi who said, You can't soak it in warm water, but you can soak it in cold water. So, Commander Shari, sounds like Rav's going like Rabbi Yossi, but we already said the general opinion is that you can't. So how can it doesn't help us that Rav went like Rabbi Yossi. That's not how we Paskin. So the Gemara says, no, This is according to the one who's, who you haven't started drinking this at all. Since you already drank it on Thursday and Friday, if you don't drink it on Shabbos, you will, it will cause danger. It's, in a way, it's extra dangerous to not drink it on Shabbos. Interestingly enough, so how would we transfer? So, so that's, the, that's the point. He started taking this medicine on Thursday and Friday, and now he wants to know, can he prepare, prepare it on Shabbos? And they said, yes, because it's dangerous. It can be dangerous if he doesn't finish his course. Now, so the question that follows from here is, what about a course of antibiotics? I mean, especially sometimes by the time you get, you've been better for three days, by the time you're on the last dose of a week or 10 days or 15 days course of antibiotics, you could be, you're like feeling better for the last few days. So you're allowed to take this last course, the last uh, dose or the last few doses, even if it's overlapping with Shabbos. So most pots can come out, you can, bit of a discussion how, but one is firstly, you're playing with fire. If you don't finish the course of antibiotics, the infection can, can uh, what's it, re- revive itself. I was thinking also, there's the whole general movement. Um, whenever you go to the hospitals, you see the signs about be careful, try not take antibiotics, be careful with antibiotics because the, they're becoming, the, the, sorry, not the, 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 the bacteria are becoming uh, immune to them. They're mutated and becoming immune to them. So that's a huge danger of not finishing a course of antibiotics is if it doesn't completely... Um, wipe out the infection, it's going to mutate into one that's resistant to antibiotics, which is very dangerous. But I don't know how, I mean, that theoretically is fairly far-fetched, so I don't know if that would push aside Shabbos. But either way, we generally lenient and say, if you take in a course of antibiotics, you finish it. Um, don't, don't try outsmart the doctors. Um, I can add another few reasons to say go lenient is uh, firstly, it's, it's only an Isu So if there's even a small doubt that it's dangerous, you should override the Isu It's not like you're actually making the antibiotics, which is grinding the ingredients, which would be an Isu It's only you're just taking the antibiotics, which is an Isu Secondly, while some people want to be lenient with even like Panado and other medications nowadays, is the Xayra is not really relevant to us anymore because... It's impossible for us to replicate that. It's all very well if when the, med- when the medicine you had to take was 
grind this type of herb and mix it with this water and add some honey and wine or whatever, okay, then someone might come and make the medicine themselves. But you need a huge factory with fancy, fancy equipment just to make a simple panado or antibiotics. So it's not the xero of you might come to grind is not, not necessarily as relevant. I don't want to get into the discussion of when do xeros fall away or not, but that's an added reason to go more lenient nowadays. So it's called a sniff. When you're giving a psak, sometimes one principle on its own is not enough to paskin. But here we have a sniff. We have a few, a few, a few branches that we can add together to say that it's fine. Yes. When I was growing up, you know, not from when I was like a few years old to about seven, mm-hmm. in the town, the village where I came from, in the, you know, in the Eastern Transvaal, there was only a doctor, there wasn't a chemist. So the doctor used to make the medicine while you were there. So uh-huh. used to make it. It was interesting that uh, you could appreciate this uh, Gamora. Yeah. I remember, well, I remember when I was young and you used to go to the pharmacy, they would take the antibiotic powder and mix it with the water. I don't know if that's... Uh, I don't know if they still do it now. Yeah. Rav Achabar Yosef was walking leaning on the shoulders of his nephew, Rav leaning on the shoulders of his nephew, Rav Nachum Bar-Yitzchak. He was very elderly, so he walked with him and said, Ailina says when we reach Rav Safra would like to go in. Says Kima to Ailo when they arrived. Rav Safra, sorry, Rav Rav Achabar Yosef went in to visit Rav Safra. Boy and he asked him, Maulach Suse Kisnisa Beshabzular Huche Kisna Komachavin Beshapri Dami Odioma Lo Elidi Chiyura Komachavin Vaosir. Are you allowed to rub your shirt, your linen shirt, on Shabbos? Is the general intent to soften it, which would be mutar, or is the intent to make it shine better, which would be osur? When they would receive their freshly laundered linen shirt, it would be a bit stiff. But there's two aspects. One is if you rub it thoroughly, it softens it, so it's more comfortable to wear, which is no iser on Shabbos. But if it's to add shine to it, I think that would make it fall into the carrier part of the laundering process. Or metake mone, and would be osir. So he's asking Rav Safra, can you rub this shirt? What's people's general approach to it? So Rav Safra answered him, your intent is, the primary intent is to soften it, and therefore it's mutar. So when he came out, Rav Nachman Bayitzak asked his uncle, what did you ask him? So Omar Lei, boy minei, mahu lechas, I asked him if you can rub your linen shirt to soften And he said yes, because it's just to soften it. Why aren't you asking about a sudar? I think that's like a yami or a head, some sort of head covering or a turban. And they add in the sura. says, I didn't have a question regarding this yami. Because I asked Rav Huna and he told me it was asur. So he says, Oh, but if should lay Lamar Mi Sutra, so then why don't you answer it from a Sudar? I, if you're not allowed to rub your Yami to get it um, nice when it comes back from the laundromat, why, or your turban, why would you be allowed to? Maybe it's more like a, what's it, like a, like the Arabs wear, like that sort of uh, head covering. Um, but if you're not allowed to do that, why would you think you're allowed to rub your shirt? says, no, there, there your intent is clear, much more clearly to shine it. Here it's not so clearly that you want to shine it. Your head covering is clearly visible. So you want everyone to see that it's shiny and looks good and looks new. But your shirt that's under your jacket, you don't mind if it doesn't look as good. And your primary point would therefore be to make it soft. So Omar of once we're discussing a laundering a shirt, let's just discuss another point. Omar of Kisina Mishlif when they would receive when you receive this shirt back from the laundromat. Now when they would receive it, it would be on like a pole, a wooden rod, kind of like a hanger, but it was a regular wooden rod that as soon as you were used it, you would throw it, you would 
use it as firewood. So theoretically, this wooden rod is actually muktza because it's for firewood. Says, you allowed to move it, remove the shirt from the rod, even though you'll end up moving the rod a little bit, but you're not allowed to take the rod out of the shirt because that's muktza. Rava says, but if it's a weaver's rod, then it would be mutar. Because a weaver's rod, rod is a kli. If it's a, a hanger. If it's made for hanging shirts on, then it's a kli. It's not, uh, it's not a problem anymore. This certain bunch of vegetables if it's edible for animals then you can move it on Shabbos it's not muktza but if it's not edible then it's is muktza and it would be also to move a string of meat of raw meat you're allowed to move it seems because people would eat it maybe like bultong to kivra but if it's of a string of fish it would be also to move because people would not People would not be prepared to eat it. Okay. The Gemara now goes on and gives um, some, let's call it, general advice in a, in a range of topics. Now, obviously, on the surface, it sounds pretty obvious. But as I mentioned a few times at Agarita, and I think the Maharal and the Chassam Sofer also, they say that obviously many of these, de- obviously many of these principles, not that the surface message is wrong, but obviously they contain deeper ideas as well. Okay, Omar Rav Ketina, Ha'omer Be'emsa Ha'mita Ki'ilu Omer Be'kresa Shalisa Ve'lav Milsahi. Rav Ketina says, if you stand in the middle of the bed, I of another couple, it's as if you're standing on her stomach, and Rashi says, the concern is you'll come to Hirhur, but Ve'lav Milsahi, you don't have to worry about that. I, Rav Ketina says you have to worry, but we don't think you have to. Ve'omer Rav Chizda, Rav Chizda says, Bar Be'rav Dezomin Yarko. If you have a yeshiva student, Bar Be'rav is like a... a Student of the academy, a yeshiva student who's buying vegetables, lives in Aricha, he should buy long ones. Why? Kisha ki kisha v'urcha mimela. The thickness will always be the same, and therefore any additional length you get is free. It seems they would sell their bench vegetables in uh, bunches, and generally the bunches were a uniform size. So if you got a short bunch, you got less, and if you got a long bunch, you got more. But obviously, all the thicknesses are the same. I'm imagining kind of like, like celery, how it's sold. Um, Similarly, when a yeshiva student if he's buying a reed, he should buy reeds, a, a thing of reeds, he should buy longer ones because the thickness of the of the pack is always the same, but a longer one would be better. For Omar Rav, the bar by Rav, the loin officially rifta. Yeshiva student, uh, yeah, I'm thinking you can obviously tell that these are going to be that there's some deeper idea behind them by the fact that it's speaking to yeshiva students. What's the difference? You should give the counsel to the whole Jewish community when you go to the market. This is some good good business advice. Firstly, I don't know if we need the Rosh Hashiva to tell us this. Although we find that everything is included in the Torah and the Rosh Hashivas would often dispense, are obviously going to guide you and give good advice wherever they can. But we don't, it's like doesn't sound as necessary to come from them. And also it's addressed, addressed at Yeshiva Bochrim. So must be something deeper behind it. said further, If he can't really afford bread, He mustn't eat vegetables because that increases his appetite. Neither when I was poor would I eat vegetables, nor when I was wealthy. When I was poor, I wouldn't eat it because it increases your appetite. But it and even when I was wealthy, rather than fill up my stomach with vegetables, fill it up with meat and fish. I I think what he's saying is rather go for the more nutritious food which he held was meat and fish, as opposed to the vegetables, which aren't as nutritious. Obviously, we know uh, 
the health benefits of eating vegetables and eating lots of vegetables. But that's, um, but yeah, but he held, again, remember when you're eating, your focus should be on the nutrition. If you have a poor yeshiva student who can't really get bread, he shouldn't eat his meal in little bits. He shouldn't wait as he gets a piece of bread, eat it as he gets another piece of bread later on, eat it. He should rather save it up and eat it all at once. Um, the Barbe Rav, who's not so wealthy, shouldn't be the one who says, Hamotzi, my timer, the law of it by offer, he won't do it generously. Remember, we learned in Maseches Brochus that the host should be the one who says, Hamotzi, because he will distribute the chala generously. If you have a poor yeshiva student saying, Hamotzi, he's going to distribute it not generously, and therefore he shouldn't do it. Interestingly, the Chasam Sofer here says this is an allusion to who are preparing a shir. You don't prepare your shir by collecting little bits and pieces from here and there and stuff. It's got to be a well thought out, cohesive idea. Can't be because you know one line of Gomorrah here and another line in Chumash there. It's got to be flowing. And so too when you're learning, a yeshiva student or anyone learning, you shouldn't be jumping around looking for little bits and pieces. You should uh, take uh, one mesecht or one perek and go into it properly. He says that's the preferable way, and that's this idea of not taking little pieces. Rav Chizda says, at first, I would never ever say Hamotzi until I'd felt around the whole basket and realized that I had enough bread for a whole meal. Someone who's able to eat barley bread. And he eats wheat bread. It's bal tachris. Someone who you can happily drink beer and he drinks wine. He transgresses bal tachris. I thought the explanation of this was if you can get away with something less and you have something more expensive, or that only certain other people, it's 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 wasted on you. It's unnecessary, and therefore you should have the guess the cheaper or the simpler option. But we don't have to worry about this. If you, you can, if, you, if you're able to get your hands on wheat bread, you can eat wheat bread. If you're able to get your hands on wine instead of beer, nowadays if you're able to get your hands on wine at all, um, have, you can have it. And my, one second, it might be connected to the previous pieces of someone who's poor. Rather than spend your money on wine, spend it on beer which is cheap or something like that. Yes, Basil. Like that ugly expression that you don't feed strawberries to pigs. Yeah, so along those, it's our, uh, uh, that's what I thought Shat was. But maybe now that I think about it, maybe it's more to do with your financial uh, situation. And wh- why is it why is it la milsihi baltashkis de gufa adif? Much more important is the about wasting away your body. I, you can fast food might be the cheapest food you can get, but and therefore maybe you, if you can get a fast food, rather eat fast food than proper food. Then expense fruit and good quality fruit and vegetables are very expensive. So maybe you should go for the cheese. No, baltash is the goof. If your health, your body is much more important. I mean, interestingly enough, there's a Gemara in Baba Metzia. Where was Baba Metzia? One of the sages said when he would walk, it might be Tanis. It brings that when he would walk. Like through thorns and stuff, he'd lift up his garment. He says, because my legs, if they get scratched and stuff, they'll recover. But if my shirt, if my pants get torn, then I have to chuck them. So I guess when, and that's the general rule, I think, with Baltashkis, you've got to weigh up your options. Chas for shalom to waste. It could be an issue to And damage and throw away things unnecessarily, etc. But you also have to weigh up. It's a cost-benefit analysis. What's more important, to throw it out or to eat it? Maybe eating it is much more harmful and and obviously you, your body comes first. If someone doesn't have oil, he should rub his hand in this water of the stagnant water. 
Um, they used to, before my Mahronim, rub their hands with oil. And yeshiva students who weren't wealthy, they should rather go get the stagnant water, which has the same effect. If you have this yeshiva student who's very lucky and he's able to go get meat, he should buy neck meat because it has three types of meats. It has uh, lean, fatty, and stiff meat. So with uh, just buying the neck meat, you get the experience of having a whole uh, array of uh, meats, a whole fancy feet. Um, yeah, interesting. The Maharal in his Chidusha Akodos on here, so I'll scroll, bring it. He says here, the, one of the deeper lessons from this is Hashem's kindness. Even poor people who would generally never have these experiences in their life, there's a way for them to have an aspect or a dimension of the experience. He's never able to eat a meal with three different types of meats. But if he buys neck, he can't afford that. But if he buys neck, then he can have a similar experience to having a meal with three different types of meat. If he, he never gets to have the experience of uh, putting this fancy oil on his hands after a meal. But he can go and have a similar experience, of luxury, a similar luxury, if he gets uh, water from these... Uh, from Maya, Maya de Charizzi. Okay, Vomar al-Khizda Babay Rab, the Zabin Kitunta, Lizvin Midnar Abba. If you're buying a linen shirt, buy it from Nahar Abba. That's where you get the best quality shirt from. Vinagvira Koltlis in Yomim, the Mefate Lay Tracer Yahi Shasa. Wash it every 30 days and it will last you a full year. Vaana Arav, I'll guarantee it. If it wears out sooner than a year, if you keep this. Uh, you keep my uh, guidelines of how to look after it, and it I'll guarantee that it will last a year. My kitunta, what is this word? Kisunisa, what does it come from? Kisanoe, a nice group. I, you must, as a, I think this might be directed to Talmud Chochem, as we saw earlier in the Masechta, that a yeshiva student, a Talmud Chochem, someone who re represents religion and Hashem, must dress nicely. So rather than buy a cheap shirt that doesn't look nice, Spend a little bit more on a fancier shirt. Again, obviously you can afford it, so you save up to get this linen shirt and look after it properly and it will last you for a long time. And then you're someone of Kisanoi, of good company. You're someone that people want to hang around, want to be with, which is a great Kirush Hashem. Um, guess we'll have to speak to a tailor or um, what's the best way to look after our clothes or and what materials, etc. and where you should buy them from. But that would be... Um, the idea behind this piece. Uh, yeshiva student should not sit on a new mat because it can ruin his garment. It seems the reeds are still a drop damp before they've dried out properly. And if you sit on it, it will stain your clothes. Uh, yeshiva student should never give his hostess his uh, clothes to watch. It's not appropriate. She will see something on it, and it will it will it will be repulsive to her, and he will be disgraced in her eyes. Again, this is similar, I think, to the same idea before that a yeshiva student has to make sure that he keeps his respect and dignity. told his daughters, "You must be tznius even before your husbands." Don't eat bread before your husbands. It seems kind of saying don't uh, don't be gluttonous before your husbands because that will turn them uh, that will repulse uh, that will um, make them unhappy. Don't eat vegetables at night. It will make your breath bad and it will push your husband away. And don't eat. Uh, don't eat dates or drink uh, beer at night. It seems it makes you gassy and again it will push your husband away. Don't go to the bathroom where your husband's nearby. Remember they used to go out into the field. And Manu elomani, and when you when someone's at the gate, don't ask who's there in masculine, ask who's there in feminine. I don't make yourself someone who's used to talking to other men. So rather, even when you someone's at the gate, most likely, it, it, or even if it's very likely it's a man, you don't say who's there in the masculine form. Manu, you say it as mani, who's there. 
Then he said, then he gave them, this is uh, quite interesting, he seems to giving them advice regarding intimacy. And he's using euphemisms to tell them how they should uh, behave before their husbands to uh, increase the love and intimacy and desire of their husband to be with them. So he says, knock it, marganisa b'chada yada, take a pearl in one hand, v'kura b'chada yada, and a kiln in the other hand. Again, that's a euphemism for different uh, parts. Marganisa achvele, v'kura lo achvele. Show him the marganisa, but don't show him the kura, until it's, until he's like uh, distressed, then show him the kura. Okay, that's his advice to his daughters. Then the last, uh, towards the end of the mission, it says, Christian, you're not allowed to soak these uh, back to, uh, it's called a normal Gomorrah, and you're not allowed to soak these uh, beans or legumes so that the chaff floats to the top. Oh, he said, you're not allowed to do that, but you're allowed to put it in a kivra to move around or to keep. So he says, Rabbi Yaakov says, you're not allowed to use a kivra at all, a sieve at all. Basically, it's mutzi, you'll come to sift and it's a problem. Okay, let's start the next Mishnah. Gorfin milifnei hapetem. You can sweep food away from the trough before an ox you fattening. I, what would happen is, the, by the end, after eating all the food in the, uh, in the feeding trough, they'd just be left like a little bit of ash and soot and uh, sand and stone, so they would want to sweep it out. Especially for this ox that they're trying to fatten, because if, he, if all the stuff gets mixed in with his food, he's not going to eat. And therefore, it's not gonna, he, he won't become fat. Again, you're fattening it to Shech. Similarly, if it, lots of food in, his, in the animal store, you're allowed to sweep it to the sides because of the dung. I, when the animal walks around his stall, he'll mess up all the food. So you sweep it to the sides that the, where the animal is less likely to walk. That's Rabbi Doisa's opinion. The Gemara is going to discuss why and well, what, what do they say is also because we've mentioned two points, sweeping out the trough and um, sweeping the store, the stall. You're allowed to take food from this animal and give it to another animal. I think the concern is generally if one animal hasn't eaten it, doesn't that make it mutza because it's not animal food anymore? So no, we'll see more about this in the Gemara. You can transfer it. So he says, The rabbis arguing on the ratio, or they argue on the safer, or are they arguing on both points? The ratio's concern is that when you're sweeping out the feeding trough, you're going to be mashve gumos. You're going to try to smooth it out a little, which we know is boine or choresh, which is the isudoraisa. So that's the concern. And the safer sweeping the food to the side is the concern that some of the food that was on the floor, the animal food feed that was on the floor, has already been ruined. So it's mutza. So you're going to come and move mutza. So that's the concern. Which one are the rabbis arguing on or they're arguing on both? So Toshma, the tiny Chachomim, the rabbi, the Chachomim came along and said, either way, you're not allowed to move it to the sides. Rav Chizda says this is specifically with the ibus, with the feeding trough that is made on the ground. I, what they would do is just set up partitions, not make take a bowl or something as the feeding trough. You just put a fence around the little area on the ground and you can put the food in there. But then it's the floor is the ground. So that would be a problem. Um, but if it's a kli, if it's an actual bowl, then it should be fine. Says, Who would ever allow you to sweep on the ground? If this was a ibus, a feeding trough built into the ground, I, again, as I explained, that you put a little, a little uh, a low fence around a little area that holds the food, and the actual bottom is the ground, who would ever allow you to sweep on the ground? That's definitely a concern of Mashvekumas. Says, Ela yitmar, hachitmar. Omar Rav Chizda must be, this is what Rav Chizda was saying. Machloikes be'ivus shall kli, avo be'ivus shall karka divra kol osur. It's a ibus shall, uh, a kli, that's a machloikes. But if it's of, 
if it's an ibus built onto the ground, that would definitely be a problem according to everyone. Okay, let's just do the last few lines. You're allowed to take food from before one animal and put it before another animal. So, Tani had a you can take from the animal with a beautiful, with a nice mouth, and put it before the animal with a horrible mouth. But Tanya Irich and another Brisa seems to teach the opposite. You can take it from the animal with a bad mouth and put the food before the animal with a good mouth. Aye, there's this one animal, or here we seem to be switching it, but there's an animal that will eat food that another animal has not eaten. And you, so you're allowed to take the animal food from the first animal and give it to the second animal because he will eat it. But again, we have con- conflicting prices. So Omar Abayah says, says Abayah says, no, both prices are actually referring to, you can take food from a donkey and give it to an ox, but not the other way around. Also, when we said that the price says you can take from the animal with a nice mouth and give it to the animal with a bad mouth, that's from a donkey which doesn't drool when it eats. And therefore, you can give it and you can go and give it to a cow which does drool when it eats. So when we say a nice mouth or a bad mouth, does it drool when it eats? So therefore, it's, that would be um, how to explain, understand the price which says you can take it from the animal with a nice mouth to the animal with a bad mouth, with a horrible mouth. And what about the price which says you can take it from an animal with a horrible mouth and give it to the animal with a nice mouth? So he says, a, bad, uh, a horrible mouth here means like a donkey which is not so particular with what it eats. It basically eats anything. And you can put it before a donkey, before a cow, which is more specific, more particular with what it eats. It's more refined, it's more, it's a nicer mouth, it's more careful with what it eats. Okay, but it's more fussy, yeah. But either way, it seems that the the ox would eat food that the donkey left over, but a donkey would never eat food that an ox left over, and that's why you can switch, that's why you can take the food from a donkey and give it to the ox. Okay, we'll leave it there for today.